Okay, welcome back to the latest United podcast and a chat I have been waiting, it seems, months and months to have with you, Larry. I think we've been waiting for July and sort of that turnover of sort of the contractual period for a lot of players. But finally, after a, it feels like an 18th month wait, we've finally got to July and finally he has come back to Manchester. Tom Heaton is about to sign again for Man United. Oh, mate, massive news breaking out today about Tom Heaton. Uh, you could just say this con- this conversation's about to heat up because Tom Heaton, that, that is the one. That is the that is the name I think we've all been hanging for. And I think when everyone opened this podcast, this is the name they wanted to hear to open up Tom. Tom Heaton, what a signing. Well, it is. Well, it hasn't been confirmed by the club, but you can hear it here first on the podcast that Tom Heaton is pretty much signed. I'm sure by the time you're hearing this, because it is July now in England, obviously, um, news should be breaking on that. But in all seriousness, um, if you do have the internet, which you do because you're listening to this podcast, United have signed Jaden Sancho. While it isn't technically official, um, all parties have agreed. The deal has been agreed between both United and Dortmund. It will now come down to a case of when United announce it, are they going to do it? Um, they've agreed a deal with Jaden Sancho pending medical, or are they going to wait until he has the medical and they can take all the photos with the new shirt, etc., and announce it? But the news did break. Uh, we woke up to the news this morning um, in Australia. Um, just your f- first thoughts when you did turn on your phone and you had seen those three words from Fabrizio Romano. What were your thoughts? Was it an excitement thoughts or was it, uh, finally it's done? I still felt excited. And I think ultimately as a football fan, if transfers don't excite you, what are you doing, right? Um, but there was also, it was, it was twofold. It was probably the first transfer where because it's a big name signing, it still had the wow factor to it. To it. Um, but yeah, there's definitely an element of, all right, it's about time, um, which is a shame to be honest. It's a shame it's dragged out because this should be a signing that should be really celebrated and you know one that excites the fans. But when you know it's been in the making for the best part of two years, um, just kind of happy we got there in the end. We say they're the best part of two years. The question I'll throw to is, why did it take so long? And if you just to sort of isolate the sort of the, the sort of transfer windows, if you look at it and forget our interest in previous seasons and you just look at this transfer window from the Europa League final to now, it's extremely swift business. You think, no, well, no other club signed in a big player like that this, this far out from the start of the season. However, we do have the history and we do have to take into account that we're trying to do this last year. So it is a long, drawn-out process. But why mm. do you think it has taken so long? Because the one thing, I definitely wouldn't defend the club. However, I think the stories over the last couple of weeks, every single day you wake up, the news is they're very close to a deal. Um, they're even closer than they were yesterday. And so many people got frustrated with Man United over that, which I completely agree. However, I think a lot of it stemmed from just simply journalists knowing they could get a click out of the article saying they're close to signing Jaden Sancho. And I think a lot of journalists and sort of big uh, media accounts, whether it be on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, were just taking advantage of the situation, knowing that the deal was going to get done and just saying Jaden Sancho is close. And suddenly that makes all the fans frustrated having to go at the club saying, why can't this club get the deal done? However, if you do look at it in the isolation of a transfer window, forget about last season, which we do have to take into account, but if we just look at this transfer window, it's pretty swift business. I know that sounds stupid, we've waited for two years, but um, just your thoughts on sort of the frustration of why it has dragged out so long. Oh, look, I think it's dragged out because of the transfer fee. Um, You can be critical of United. I think last season... I'm willing to give them a pass, to be honest. And when I say them, obviously the ownership. And look, as football fans, of course, as a football fan, you always want the best for your football team. I think it was up to me and you. You'd be putting a billion into the transfer market every season. But 
The reality is that Dortmund didn't adjust their price when COVID-19 had hit and all the clubs were being impacted. We had gone months without seeing fans into the stands. That takes its toll. And for a club like United, that that's actually it's actually double double the shot because if you think about it, Tom, United bring in a, a, a heap of money just on corporate suites. Um, and so then when you added to that 75,000 football fans in there, that, that's a massive loss to the club. I think I read um, Old Trafford makes close to a million pound every football match. So when that revenue is no longer coming in, yet Dortmund were still holding out. We have to remember, 120 million euros. Now, we, we've gotten this deal, according to all reports, around the 85 million euro mark, which equates to around 73 million pounds. United were looking at paying nearly 30 million more. Is that worth the 12-month wait? You have to say, I think so. It's good business. You say that, and I would tend to agree. However, I would say, okay, that's 30 million cheaper. If you're balancing the books, okay, yes, it is good business. But if we pay that 30 million extra last season, are we walking away with a, with a Europa League title and maybe a League Cup sort of thing? Because if we have Jaden Sancho in the team, we're better last season. I take your point, but I don't think so. I don't, I don't think, and even with this signing, as exciting as it is, United are not the finished article, are they? There's still more that needs to be added to this squad, which we'll naturally get into as part of this conversation. Yes, I take your point. Are United a better side with Jaden Sancho? Of course we are. Let's just take a moment to look at some of his statistics because he's, play, he's made 104 appearances in the Bundesliga. In that time, he's returned 38 goals and 51 assists. When you take into account he made his debut for Dortmund, I think he had just, I think he was 17 when he debuted, at worst 18. His return over the last two seasons has been phenomenal. There's this false article um, or this false narrative that he had a poor season um, in, in one just pass. It's not true. He started slow, but he finished strong. Um, still finished it. Um, he's, in fact, his overall return in terms of assists is the best in European football. Lionel Messi falls behind Jadon Sancho in that respect. So what we're acquiring here, Tom, is not world-class talent just yet, but potential to be that? Absolutely. You just mentioned there sort of the business side of things. And I don't want to get into It's been so confusing to me. Like one reporter saying 80 million euros, then 95 million pound and 70 million pound and 80 million euros. And it get completely mixed up on who's saying what. But just your thoughts on what you've heard the transfer fee to be and reported fee, etc. Forget last season, forget the drawn out process, just for the quality of player and what the squad needs. Are you happy with the, the business side of things? Like instead of paying 120 million pound for him? Are you, do you think this is good business or do you th- still think it's maybe a, quite a risk for a young player to be sort of signed for this much money? It is good business because you also have to think, take the business side out of it for a moment or with the business side. Let's take into account the narrative that could have been with that, okay? So if let's say United bought Jadon Sancho last season, 120 million euros. That's then United's record transfer fee broken. So Jadon Sancho not only has the pressure of playing for Manchester United, not only has the pressure of bringing a 20-year-old, he has the pressure of being Manchester United's record signing. So you've got to think of the psyche of the player. The impact that that could have ha- means, and of course, we'll never know here, but it could have impacted his performance. In fact, I dare say a 20-year-old, that would impact him mentally. You then also have to take, him and t- take into account that, given his age, there is going to be inconsistencies in his, in his game. Knowing this fan base and how fickle it can be, particularly online, They'd be throwing him off. They'd be putting him on the ship canals out of Manchester if he put in a bad performance. I think all in all, it makes sense. The other thing, and going back to the business side, United have 
according to you know what we're seeing is this transfer fee will be paid over the duration of Jadon Sancho's contract. So if you're paying 85 million euros over a five or six year period, that, that's really good business by United. That equates to around 13 million per season. It leaves room for United to make further signings this window and signings that could improve our chances and competing for the ultimate honours. So I think ultimately, Tom, you can't complain. Looking at what we could have paid last season, I think it's good business by the club. Well, we'll get into future deals because usually when we record a podcast, usually we hang up the phone and then two seconds later some news breaks and you think, God, we just recorded a podcast. It would have been good to include that. But for some stroke of genius... Um, the news has broken before we've gone live, so we will discuss a little bit more transfer news in a few minutes. But I just want to sort of fast forward your mind to, I don't know, what is about six weeks until the season starts, maybe, against Leeds United. Forget people coming back from the Euros or Cavani coming back from the Cop America and Rashford's potential injury status. Just look, if everyone's fit against Leeds, we now have Jaden Sancho available. That front three, a left winger, a striker and a right winger. Two questions, how would you line it up? And how do you think Solskjaer will line up that first game? It's a difficult one. I, well, me and you spoke before we started recording. We don't expect Marcus Rashford to be starting the season, do we? Um, according to... There's some been reports over the last day that he's actually gonna, going to require um, surgery on his shoulder. Um, he's also got a foot injury that he's nursing. Um, in fact, I was just watching um, Stratford Paddock and um, they had Henry Winter on. Henry Winter's mentioned that Marcus Rashford, prior to the Europa League final, he was struggling to get his boot on due to the swelling in his foot. That, that's, that's really bad for a 23-year-old to be playing with that sort of injury. So if he's going to need that time off, and according to... So, yeah, sorry, um, Henry Winter was saying Rashford won't play till September. So if that's the case, I think... Look, a lot of it depends on, and I have to bring it back to you, Tom, to say, with the Jadon Sancho signing, who who leaves? Because if Rashford's injured, you'd have to think Martial sticks around. You couldn't afford to have Rashford coming under an injury cloud into the season and then letting your one of your better opponent players leave. You don't want to line up the season with, say, a Dan James on the left, Sancho on the right. I think that's very much more of the same of what we got. Um, in terms of the the formation, I think it'll be. I still think it'll be four two three one. I don't think Solskjaer will deter away from that. Yeah, look. In terms of who's look, we've discussed the most likely from a business point of view, and even footballing point of view, probably is Anthony Martial. Now there isn't too much noise around it. You've seen when United are involved in a transfer, whether it's ins or outs, you just have to look at Paul Pogba. In in terms of the cases going out, there is a lot of noise, and suddenly there is just no noise about Anthony Martial. So I would be very shocked, and we've discussed we we both want him to stay, but there's just no murmurs of a player going out. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen. But if you were to say one, it would probably be Martial, and then even if if a club if a club lower down in the Premier League had an interest in Dan James, I'm sure Man United would sort of look at the situation and potentially consider a bid for him. But if I was looking at it in terms of okay, let's take Marcus Rashford out of it. If we assume he's not going to be fit. That front three, I'll probably you got a, a player we never really mentioned. Who he got our player of the season, Mason Greenwood. We have to consider Mason Greenwood in all this, and you could almost well if he's our player of the season, he's almost first name on the team sheet next season. How how I would be lining up, I think it would be very much a case of, I think Jaden Sancho would actually play on the left, Cavani through the middle, and Greenwood on the right. Do you see a situation where that pans out against Leeds? It's an interesting one. It's definitely possible. I would probably opt. I'm gonna be an optimist here. Look, I'm gonna fit Martial in, mate. I just I have to. 
Um, I would be going Martial on the left, Cavani through the middle, Sancho on the right, and I'd be wanting to bring Mason off the bench to play that centre forward position. Should we need to bring, you know, something a little bit different? I think that's the way I'd be going. Yeah, no, it looks hard. And God, it's so, so long away. We've still got a lot of preseason games to go at the end of the Euros, etc. And who knows? There may be more signings, comings, or going. So we definitely will discuss the Leeds game in far more detail close to the kickoff of this season. We'll just go on to some Facebook and Twitter comments before we move on to the latest news. But Rob has gone very, ex- in regards to the Sancho news, I'm very excited but need to keep going in the market and give Ollie what he needs. Paul McKay on Facebook, one step closer to where we need to be. Next step, a centre back. Um, Chris Wiley from the Man United Supporters Club. I'm just glad the longest transfer saga ever is over. And Ahmad on Twitter goes very drawn out. Took a little bit of the excitement away. Still excited nonetheless. Keen to see if we invest more and how Ollie plans on winding up. Now we've got Sanchez enjoying this um, so far, the story so far series, boys. So um, yeah, we'll just have a discussion there. Thank you everyone for the comments there. But that the series which everyone seems to be liking, the story so far. Who's next on your agenda, do you think? We're just discussing a little bit off air. Tom Heaton, absolutely. Well, yeah, he does actually have a good story, to be fair. So, yeah, maybe next one. Um, special Tom Heaton edition. But um, <laughs> as we said, usually when we record a podcast, we edit, we upload, and then news breaks. This time we're very lucky that the news has broken 20 minutes before we have gone live. And it is Mark Ogden of ESPN. Now, whether you want to class him as a very credible journalist or not, or his relationship, or his sort of, I wouldn't say support, but his lack of support of Man United and their dealings, that's up for you. However, he is definitely someone who probably does have an ear somewhere inside Old Trafford, so his reliability is quite good, um, but he is obviously working for ESPN. He has come out and said United are close to a finalising a deal for Rafael Varane. My first instinct, Larry, too good to be true. Now, now I'm hesitant, I'm praying this goes through, of course, but I just don't see it. Um, I'm not quite sure. I'll get your thoughts first, and then I'll sort of dissect it a little bit. Yeah, look, I'm, it's starting. To, it's starting to get going, isn't it? It's starting to get some momentum. Um, it's got similar vibes to how the Paul Pogba situation began. If you remember, if you can think back to when United was initially linked with Pogba before the deal eventually eventuated. This is, it feels similar, where you heard the rumours with the link, you didn't think much of it, but now it's starting to say, no, he's actually, he's willing to sign for United, the deal's done. It's gotten more momentum behind it. Um, I'm not too sure I'm in the same boat as you to say too good to be true. I think United are definitely interested. I think it just comes down to, is Varane interested? That's where there's a little bit of grey. If I had a score it out of 10 at the moment, you'd probably, you wouldn't be giving it more than a 4 but it's building momentum, Tom. I don't think it's impossible. And I, I dare say over the next week, we'll probably have a more concrete idea of if this deal is actually going to happen or not. What has maybe sort of caught me off guard and a little bit by surprise over the past, say, two years, three years, or whenever really, since Ferguson has left, whenever we're linked with a player or not linked with a player, whenever we identify a position we need to strengthen, whether it be a left winger, a striker, a midfielder, there's always these players who say, OK, we'll try and get that player. We'll try and get that player, but we never, we never sort of, sort of recognise or pinpoint one of the best players in the world. Like if we needed a tricky sort of forward who can play off the front line, maybe a little bit to the right, we're not saying Lionel Messi because we can't get Lionel Messi. If we wanted a creative number ten, we're not saying Kevin De Bruyne because we know we know we're not going to get Kevin De Bruyne. Over the past two years, when everyone is saying we need a centre back, 
We're throwing all these names around, but no one's ever thrown the name of Varane, even though he's the best out there. His name was never really mentioned. Okay, it was on the sort of, if you're playing FIFA, you'd go get him. But in a realistic conversation, no one said Varane because he was just never in the equation. Now, all of a sudden, this equation looks very real. And maybe that is what has caught me off guard a little bit. I just never really saw this as a possibility. Yeah, I take your point. Um, I think it's between him or Pal Torres. I think we'll get one of them. I think Varane's the more obvious option in terms of if you're looking at who strengthens United. And when you're talking about that argument to say, does he improve the starting eleven? Undoubtedly, I think Varane's the one where there's less risk involved. He's a proven winner. He's won the Champions League countless times. He's won La Liga a few times in his career. He is a serial winner. He's won a World Cup. He would definitely improve United, not just from a playing ability, but bringing that winning mentality back into the side. Um, I think Pal Torres, in saying that, not as maybe not as certain. I think he's still a very good player, though. He's got good pace. He's good on the ball. I've seen enough of Pal Torres to say he's an improvement on what we have. But does he does he fill you with the confidence to say him and Maguire, for example, are a Premiership winning partnership? I think jury's out on that one. Well, I think the interesting thing is, I think it, it very much has come down to the case now where looking from the outside, it does look like a case of Iran's option A and option B is Pal Torres. However, when you do look at it, it looks like potentially option B, the second choice for Man United, is going to be more expensive than Rafael Varane. Can you get your head around that one? It looks like if we're going to get Pal Torres, his release clause is around £60 million. Pound. Euros, pounds, I don't know. I've got in that discussion before. But Varane, the sort of rumoured price is to be around 50 yeah, I mean, you also have to take into account the length of contract, right? I mean, Varane's got a year left to go on his deal. He's 28 years of age, so it's probably his last major contract. There's no resale value in Varane. United won't get the same money back for whatever they put in. So it makes sense. Um, I think if both players... Now, if you had Varane, who's 24 years of age, the same age as Pal Torres, with both players three years left on their deal, obviously we'd be having a different conversation here. Um, but look, I think $50 is a fair price. He's a defender. He's in the prime of his career. He's got a year left on his contract. It makes a lot of sense. And if I'm United, I'd be pulling out all stops to make it happen. Well, just there, speaking of contracts, and as I said at the start of the podcast, it is July. And the huge news is Lionel Messi is without a club. Um, his contract has run out at Barcelona. So currently, if you look on his Wikipedia page, Lionel Messi is without a football club. But more importantly, the next best left footer in world football also doesn't have a club in one matter. Your thoughts on the current situation where United have had so long... Now, obviously, Matter has personal circumstances which have maybe delayed these contract negotiations for sort of obvious reasons. But how has United got into a position where they have let this run down to... Well, he's not even just a free agent. He's a free agent in that remaining six months of his contract. But he's actually without a club now in terms of... It's very likely he wants to stay and United are negotiating a deal to keep him at the club. But how have they got into a position to let this run into July where he's technically without a club anymore? Look, it's poor. I don't think it's the most professional thing in the world. And I don't think that's going to do one Mata any favours in terms of, you know, seeing the club in a good light. In saying that, if they're allowing one Mata's contract to expire, they're obviously the club. And look, at the end of the day, Tom, you can say what you want about the Glazers and Ed Woodward. They're business people first and foremost. They obviously know they they hold the cards in this negotiation. Juan Mata wants to stay in Manchester, according to all reports. He's got some roots in Manchester. He's started a business there. He seems rumours that he's bought property there. So it seems that they know they're negotiating from a point of power. 
if they really felt there was a risk, I think we would have seen a new deal announced already. So I'm not too concerned. I think one Mata will stay. I, I, I wouldn't read too much into it. But is it poor or is it slightly unprofessional? Sure, you, you can definitely say that. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. I know a lot of people don't agree with me in terms of my stance on Mata and his future at the club. But yes, from a bias, personal bias point of view, I'm praying to God he announces that deal quite soon. I saw on his Twitter account um, he's holding up a Man United credit card and I was thinking, oh my God, they've got rid of the player contract. They've already given him the ambassadorial contract and that's his new role at the club. Nah, I, I don't think so. But can we just talk about Manchester United having their own freaking credit card? Well, are you shocked? What's going on there? How does that even... I don't even want to know how it works. Like, seriously, what's going on there? No, def- Explain me. Is, is there a rewards program? Like, do I spend a certain amount that I get a, a discount on my Jaden Sancho shirt? Like, how is this working? Yeah, no, maybe you can acquire some megastore points. Not interested, mate. Well, moving on to, um, before we wrap up the podcast, a little bit, okay, that's all the United news. Is nothing else United-related that I've missed, have I? Oh, not not to, not to, not of note, um, but there is a lot of Euros to talk about. Well, well, before, Can we just say, yeah, mate, when we recorded the podcast, I want to say two weeks ago, I think we were both saying Portugal-France final. They both flew out of the final 16. By the I way, don't know what you're talking fr- about. Um, I never said Portugal or France. Yeah, you said both. Um, but seriously, can we talk about the the France um, the France Switzerland game? That has to be one of the most entertaining games of football I've ever watched. Oh look, that, that day was it the Croatia and Spain game before it, and yeah. then France and Switzerland. Yeah, it was two three three all two three all draws. Um, the football in both games was quality. It had drama. It had quality goals. Um, upsets in terms of the Switzerland game. I thought yes, it's exactly what you want, to, and it was in front of crowds and. It was just beautiful. It it was a sort of stark reminder of how much you love this game. One hundred percent, man. Like, and you know what? You can say it's too easy to say France. You know, didn't turn up, or they did turn up. They they knew it was a must win game. So, like, and you know what? I'm telling you, if there wasn't a crowd in that stadium, there's no way that France lose that game. So it just shows you the power of a fan base and the power of a crowd that can make an upset possible. There has to be something said about that. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll stay on. I was going to touch on a little bit of Premier League news, but seeing that we're on the Euros, we'll go on to a little bit of Euro stuff and just look at ahead to the quarterfinals. And speaking of... We'll go, just go through the quarters. Switzerland and Spain. A lot of people have been very critical of Spain, and I think the criticism, whilst maybe sort of fair, has been a little bit over the top and mainly around Morata and sort of the lack of that true striker, which I completely agree with. I think to go all the way... They probably lack that. However, if you do look at their last two games, they scored 10 goals. Obviously, they had an extra half an hour in one of those games. But I just think the way Spain play, I'm a big fan of the way they play. It's very frustrating for a lot of people. But they do move the ball so well. And, okay, they don't have that true striker. But the way they play, they create enough chances. And they'll create enough where something will bounce off Morata eventually and go in. So a lot of people are sort of, I would say, sleeping on Spain. But maybe not giving them the credit they deserve because... Suddenly they're in a quarterfinal against Switzerland. Okay, Switzerland just beat France, but if I'm a betting man, I'm betting on Spain to beat Switzerland. Suddenly they're in a semi-final. So just your thoughts on well Spain in general, but also who you fancy to go through, Switzerland or Spain? Um, I'm going to say Spain, only because the emotional toll that Switzerland would have had beating France, I think they just played their final. I can't see them getting up like that again. 
Um, so that's the only reason. I, I think they're capable, obviously, that they are capable of an upset. But Spain are a well-drilled side. They're a very possession-based side. I think they'll frustrate Switzerland out of the game and s- secure the win. Yeah, no, pretty much agree with that. Now, probably the big tie. Um, well, definitely the big tie. Belgium v Italy. Belgium, again, they may be starting to click. They, they, oh. they just look strong, but then the Italians are arguably probably been the team of the tournament so far. So would you be saying, obviously, we'll get into England in a little bit, but is the winner of Belgium and Italy the favourites for you, or do you still want to sort of maybe throw that towards potential England? No, I'm definitely leaning to It's either Belgium or Italy for me. I just I don't see enough out of the England midfield to be convinced that they can win it. Well, if you, if you to tip Belgium, Italy in this quarterfinal, who's going through? And remember, in our pro oh. clubs team, we've got some very proud Italians, so be careful with what you say. I know that. Um, I think Italy, only because um, I think Hazard and De Bruyne have already been ruled out. So if that's the case, I think that's just too much firepower. Man, Italy, they don't have a world-class player, but bloody hell, they play like a world-class team. They're just so on song. I know they conceded late the other day, but... They've been the most. Imp- they've been the team of the tournament. They've looked the ones who have just put every team to the sword. Um, I-, I think Italy go through. I think they'll go to the final. Yeah, tough one. Look, if I was a better man, I'd say Belgium. But it is definitely the game. It's a five a.m. game here on Sunday morning. Oh no, sorry, Saturday morning. But um, I'll definitely be up for that one. It will be interesting. You'd almost see, in my opinion, it's almost extra time and penalties written down, written in the stars already. But moving on quickly. Probably the game that doesn't sort of stand out, but Czech Republic and Denmark, and the only reason I bring it up is Denmark have a hell of a story going on. And it stems, unfortunately, from the sad news of what happened to Christian Eriksen. Thank God he is okay and on the mend. But it stems from that unfortunate news. But sometimes something like that can kick you on, and you can tell Denmark are playing with something, not a chip on their shoulder, but definitely they're highly motivated, which all the teams are obviously highly motivated. But Denmark are on a roll, and... If you don't have any connection to any team, they're probably the team that a lot of fans are jumping on. And I'm saying if I want a team to win, not who I want to win, not who I think will win, sorry, I'm sort of hoping Denmark are the sort of the surprise package and do what they did in 1992. Oh, I'd love that. I would love it. But look, you're right. It does eventuate from unfortunate circumstances. But you know what? Let's let's put a positive spin on that. Imagine they won the Euros and it all started from like a, a nation inspired by one of their fallen teammates. Like, that's a pretty cool story as well. You can always find a positive in a negative story. So I'd love to see it. Um, but, yeah, I think I think their run will come to an end. I just, again, just one of those, similar to Switzerland, just running on emotion, but that can only take you so far, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. Now on to the last game. Again, England. Here I was at the start of the tournament saying I wouldn't be shocked if England bowed out in the group stages. I'm saying Jordan Pickford's going to cost them in in the end and he'll be the reason they get knocked out. Here we are, Jordan Pickford's probably been their player of the tournament so far and the best goalkeeper in the tournament. And England have beaten Germany for the first time in 55 years in the tournament. And a lot of people now, I'm not sure what the bookies say, a lot of people probably have England as favourites. And when you do look at what they have at their disposal, yes, we can argue midfield, are they strong enough? They are playing enough to... Look, they beat Germany 2-0 quite comfortably. Okay, Germany had a chance or two. But what would you say to the people, and especially the bookies, who probably do have England as favourites? No, I don't see it. We also have to remember, I know Germany impressed besides their... They had the initial loss, but then they, they beat France. They played well. But can we just say about Germany, before the tournament, we all identified it was an aging squad. It wasn't a squad that anyone had, right, no one was writing down that they would be winning the comp. So 
with, with that being said, let's not overpraise England either. Yes, England can only beat who's put in front of them, and they did that. So credit where it's due. But I still think, looking at that side, there's just there's just holes everywhere. The defense doesn't convince me. Um, the yes, Pickford has had a good compet- a good a good Euros campaign, undoubtedly. But that midfield, like midfields, win games. Like you cannot. It it is literally impossible for that England side. Just the way they set up, they don't set up to counterattack. You know, this isn't what Portugal were doing in 2016. They're playing in a way where they're kind of in the middle ground. Would you agree with that, Tom? Where they're not exactly pushing on and going all for it, but they're not exactly playing within themselves either. They're in this weird middle ground. And I think when when you're going to play like that, you need to be assured of the result. And I just think once they come up against these better sides, that's where they'll fall short. They'll prob- they probably will win this game. But I think should they get to the final... I just don't think they'll have enough. Look, in terms of what you're saying, you're right. And look, I completely agree. However, they're in the quarterfinals. They're winning games. They just beat Germany. What happens if they played Germany in the quarterfinal? Suddenly, they'll be in a semifinal. If they had a game like that again in the semi and they win that, they're in a final. So while you say it's not built up, it's not built to win games, well, they're winning games. So look, I agree with your point, but tournament football is very funny and it is simply about results. And while the performances might leave a little bit to be desired... It's hard to knock them, and we'll just move on quickly to wrap up the podcast in regards to Premier League news. Here I was saying Gareth Southgate, after he's um, crashed out of the tournament with England, would be nailed on to take the Spurs job, which I was completely wrong, because Spurs have finally announced a manager, probably longer than the Jadon Sancho saga. Um, Nuno from Wolves, what do you think of that appointment? Yeah, I think he's just... Um, look, I think Nuno's a good manager. I think it's all going to go downhill from here. That's a bad like from him like as a manager. That's a bad. That's a bad move. Do you think that's just the situation Spurs find themselves in? Obviously, a year ago, moving into an empty stadium where they needed the full crowd in that new stadium, the likelihood of their captain and best player forcing a move, so it's not a great environment to come in for a new manager if your best player and captain wants to leave, and the sort of tension between him and the club's chairman, etc., regarding that transfer situation. So, yeah, look, I don't wish Nuno Wells. I, I hope Tottenham have a poor season. But from a personal point of view, it does look like the cards are stacked against him. Yeah, I'd agree with that. They're not going to have a strong transfer window. You know, Tottenham are Tottenham. And that squad's getting worse. In fact, if you look at them from from when they made the Champions League final, their squad has gradually gotten worse every season. It's no, nah, it, it won't It won't end well. Well, speaking of surprise in managerial appointments, that one was a bit of a shock. While the news was in and around there, um, the one that really shocked me, Rafa Benitez to Everton. How do you think Everton fans are dealing with that one? Because, look, it is, it's not like a Manchester United-Manchester City derby. It is sort of, sort of tagged the friendly derby or whatever it's called. But there is definitely a, a big rivalry and, a, and a, a hatred among some section of the fan bases between the two. And obviously Rafa Benitez is a Liverpool icon. He's won the Champions League with them. If you're an Everton fan, are you saying, well, he's a good manager, bring him in, or are you sort of holding to the fact that it's red v blue and he's on the red half? Uh, look, I understand Liverpool fans, uh, sorry, uh, Everton's fans' initial anger, but winning games solves everything, Tom. If they start the season well, I'm telling you, it'll all be forgotten about. The fans will move on, and if they're finishing in a European spot come end of the season, there'll be no tears shed from any Everton fans, I guarantee it. You say that, and you're right, if they're winning games. However, he's probably in a position where if he starts losing games, he doesn't have many losses in the bank. I think if he loses one or two early on, he'll be under more pressure than anyone. I don't think so, you know. I think 
that board has obviously taken into account how their fans might perceive this. And look, they're happy to go all in on it. And you, you don't pay, and I'm telling you, he'd demand good money as well. I don't think it'll be a matter of getting rid of him if it doesn't all, you know, go the way they expect to start with. Of course, it'll all come down to, just like every other team, how much investment has gone into the squad. Um, and, you know, Everton have, haven't been afraid to invest uh, over the last few seasons. So it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, given that Carlo Ancelotti has left, a lot of players who were came in under the Italian um It'll be interesting to see, do they stay? Like, James Rodriguez was a key part of how they played last season. Um, so whether he sticks around, um, do they keep Calvert-Lewin? Um, obviously, he's, he's key to Everton and how they perform. So it'll be an interesting one, I think. But I'm telling you, like, Rafa's a good manager. Regardless of what you think of him, personal feelings aside, um, I think that it's a, it's a good signing. You, you can't, if you're an Everton fan, you've probably gotten the next best manager outside the, you know, the, the top bracket. I think it's a good it's a good signing. Yeah, no, hard to argue. And the, the point I want to wrap up the podcast with, now we discussed earlier in, when it came around the Rafael Varane news, we said, Mark Ogden, whatever you think of his credibility as a journalist is up to you. Now, someone, now another journalist a lot of people have that same opinion of is Duncan Castle, who's obviously a very good friend of the, pub, of the pubcast. I say that tongue-in-cheek. Um, he's not a great friend of the podcast, but um, maybe one day we'll have him on. Um, we have spoken to him a little bit about that. But that is a conversation for another day. But just the news he has broken over the next of the last day or two in regards to Erling Haaland. And the reason I want to bring this in is because obviously we just signed Sancho for big money from Dortmund. He's saying Haaland himself personally expects the move to Chelsea to happen. Your thoughts on that? Can you see a situation where... Because we have to take into consideration the if Haaland stays this year, he can be picked up for 50 or 60 million next year. A Dortmund in a position where... They can take that hit because I assume if Chelsea want to get him now, he's going to cost well over £100 million. How do you see the situation with Haaland playing out with Chelsea and Dortmund? I can't see it happening, Tom. Um, I, I just, no matter what Chelsea are willing to pay, unless it's an excessively stupid amount of money, I can't see Dortmund letting Jadon Sancho and Erling Haaland leave in the same transfer window. Just seeing, it, it, would just, it, it would hurt their own chances. For success, I just no, I don't see it happening. You're saying, and yes, I'll, I'll tend to agree with that. But you said at the start of the podcast that United end up doing good business in terms of the transfer business for Jaden Sancho because it saved thirty million if we bought him last season. It would have been thirty million pound more expensive. So if United won out in that situation from a business point of view and Dortmund lost out, can you see Dortmund almost doing that same dance again, where they could potentially get a hundred more million for Harlan now? Like a hundred million. Like, like, it, it's a debate either way, but a hundred million is a hundred million. That's a different story. Yeah, look, I take your point, and Chelsea have the money to do it. I think that's a key factor here. That they're owned by a billionaire who doesn't need the money. He'll he'll drop a hundred million the way you know Australians are dropping toilet paper here. They are a club that would put that sort of money down, uh, and I think given that their manager has won the Champions League six months into his tenure there. He's perhaps received the backing with that major che- that major war chest, for lack of a better term, to buy an Erling Haaland. But I've got to say, if they do manage to pull it off, every other Premier League club who wants to complete, compete better look out because that Chelsea side is bloody good as it is. And if you put an Erling Haaland there and you, put, you consider Timo Werner will improve, Kai Havertz will improve, that's a damn good side. Yeah, no, definitely. 
But um, we'll just wrap up the podcast there because, as I said, uh, news will always be breaking. And by the time this is uploaded, um, hopefully, well, well, hopefully there is positive news breaking all the time, but hopefully nothing major that we have missed out. But hopefully everyone enjoyed that podcast. Larry, it was a pleasure chatting about Jaden Sancho as a done deal rather than, God, is he going to sign next podcast? Is he going to sign next podcast? Finally, it's done, um, obviously without the shirt. But um, it was a different change of pace to discuss it in that manner rather than the frustration of, can this club just do this deal for once? No, I enjoyed it. Um, and it was nice to see that, you know, United have gotten some business done, you know, without the transfer window dwindling down. So, look, but it's one signing. Like, at the end of the day, Tom, I think we all agree we still need a defensive midfielder, we still need a centre-back. So, long may it continue. Let's wait and see. Well, as the title suggests, Sancho signs and Varane is next. Well, hopefully next. We'll see how that plays out. But hopefully everyone did enjoy the podcast. Um, make sure you're subscribed on your podcast app and following us on all the social medias at UTD Pubcast. And again, from Larry and myself, a big thank you for all the kind feedback regarding the series we're doing, the story so far. As I said, the next episode could very well be Tom Heaton. Um, again, probably not, but maybe someone like a Marcus Rashford or a Jesse Lingard, etc. And fingers crossed we're not doing a one-matter tribute episode. Hopefully he is staying and we can put that episode on the back burner. But until next week, Larry, have a good weekend and we'll chat to you then. Yep. Pleasure, mate. Cheers. Cheers.